You're listening to the Finding Unique Value Podcast with Jay Sparks. Hello, I'm Jay Sparks, the host of Finding Unique Value, where I'm the bringer of brilliant people. They're able to find unique value in themselves and others. And today, I am very lucky and excited to have with me a very longtime friend, Steve Burlack, as a guest. And Steve has uh, lots of media exposure and experience, and we were just talking before we started recording. And this is very intimidating, interviewing a uh, professional interviewer. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, just a, a, a tiny piece of his resume, I, I don't want to spend too much time. He's got a very, very long resume. But Steve has been a host on Black Entertainment Television. He's been featured on 60 Minutes. He's been featured in Ebony Mail Magazine. He's been under contract with Disney and Harpo uh, Productions, uh, Oprah Winfrey's production company, for a talk show series at uh, different times. And I would say that um, of all of Steve's talents, his biggest talent is using what, uh, what he calls the, uh, the Burlack method to provide value. And he does this by addressing either a, a stated problem or by using his presentation and facilitator skills to uncover a problem and then leading the group through a solution and you know how valuable would it be for you to solve your largest management problem issue today or over the next couple of days uh steve burlack may be able to do that uh, using his proprietary process based on you know lots of uh, lots of experience and i never really thought that what steve and me did was uh, you know we're, we're similar but but it really is because you know uh, from an investment management standpoint we're trying to look for that you know hidden gem they will get results for a uh, you know for a long time. Uh, Steve just does that in a different uh, you know in a very different way. But it, I think a lot of the a lot of the um, principles are exactly the same. So, with that, uh, welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you so much, Jay. It's a, a pleasure being here. I appreciate your your inviting me. Great, great. Well, could you just take a minute and uh, introduce yourself in uh, in your words? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I, my name is Steve Burlack. Uh, I'm the uh, president and founder of the Burlack Method, uh, which is a series of uh, personal development workshops. I do staff development, uh, motivational speaking. Uh, I'm an author of a book called Broadcast Your Inner Champion, which is a companion piece uh, to the workshops. Um, I'm originally from the Bronx, New York. Uh, and um, I am a member, proud member of the U.S. Army, as was my, my dad and my grandfather before me. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in history from the City College of New York, and I have a master's in education from Oregon State University. Uh, I spent some time as a history teacher in the Baltimore City public school system uh, and then became an administrator in the school system. Uh, I'm a Fulbright scholar. I studied um, the um, I studied Afro-Peruvian and Andean history and culture in Peru, uh, and also I was a Malik Shabazz Human Rights Institute scholar, uh, where I studied the uh, history and organization of the United Nations uh, in Geneva, um, and uh, various other um, background that I have, um, mostly in in. Uh, in nonprofit management. I also was an executive director for a nonprofit job training program called Strive, uh, which was actually how I got my, my beginning um, in public speaking, because uh, I started out as a trainer with them and moved through the ranks. So in a nutshell, that's, that's uh, who I am, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go along. 
Wow. Well, I'm glad I wasn't nervous before I started. Now I'm really nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that last piece is where I like to start because that, that is where I, I remember that, Steve. I remember you being on 60 Minutes and I could not believe that somebody I knew was featured on 60 Minutes. Now, just to let everyone know, too, this was actually a positive piece. This was not um, uh, one of those negative pieces that they do, right? So that was the yeah. other thing, too, that was interesting. You know, it's hard uh, even back then uh, to find a positive piece. Usually it's, it's uh, you know, something being critical or raising an issue so everyone knows uh, about it in more detail. But yours was, was really, really positive. How did that come about and how did you get um, get featured because you were part of a, a larger group, but they honed in on you uh, almost immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that was a fascinating process to, to, to experience. Um, I, at the time I was, um, I was, if I remember correctly, I was a site manager uh, at Strive at that point. I, again, I had started out as a job readiness trainer um, and uh, had moved up to be a site manager um, there was a piece uh, by a local magazine in New York City called City Journal uh, in which uh, someone came to view the program, was fascinated by it, wrote a tremendous article in the City Journal, um, and that article drew the attention of 60 Minutes. Um, the reason why everyone was so fascinated by Strive was that it focused more on attitude and soft skills than it did on hard skills like typing and resume writing, et cetera. Um, Strive uh, was able to place 80% of its graduates and was able to maintain employment for 80% of those two years later, which were numbers that government-funded programs were, were simply unable to match. So 60 Minutes came to discover what was the secret sauce to that, you know, what was the magic formula uh, that made it so successful. And I was featured on that. Um, um, I always did the orientations uh, in which I actually created a, um, a workshop called uh, The Impact of Attitude on Success, which is something that actually is now one of the foundational pieces of the Braillac Method. Um, I created the workshop, which was what I loved about Strive. They gave us the freedom to create it. And that freedom and that flexibility is why Strive is so successful and why 60 Minutes was interested in so the the piece aired. Let me uh, let me uh, let, yeah let me yeah. Let, can I can I ask you just one question about that that initial piece because you're 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 glossing over something really uh, amazing because a they didn't tell you to do this apparently right you 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 came up with this how did you know yes. um, that that this uh, I mean I assume you had to come up with the whole curriculum because it sounds when I when I view what you did it almost looks like you just walked in there and, and uh, you were also a, a drill instructor in the army, correct? Yes. You had that, yeah. you had that, you definitely had that. And I didn't realize that, but when you told me that it made sense after I saw the, the video, cause you had definitely had the drill instructor hat on, right? <laughs> yes. Cause that's part of the attitude. You have a lot of undisciplined people who are, who aren't mm -hmm. uh, educated really on, on what, uh, uh, what part of themselves should show up if they want to have this you know particular job. Right. So you're, you need to get them in that point very, very quickly. And you don't have, you know, weeks and months, you have essentially a, you know, a couple of hours. So yeah. how did you know what you were going to, what you were going to um, talk about was going to work? I mean, was it trial and error or was it from your, your, your experience in the, in the military or just from you know, being in the Bronx, you see enough that, that you knew what was, was going to help these folks because you already had gone through that process, right? You were from yeah. there and you found out how to, how to make things work and, and you were able to you know, move among many different uh, worlds. So. Um, a, a lot of questions you know, there, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, sure. No, that's quite that's quite all right. The, the answer is almost really it's all of the above. Um, huh. The fascinating part about it for me was that I did not know that I liked public speaking when I got to Strive. Right. I, I didn't realize that that was a skill of mine. Um, I actually discovered it there. And I mentioned the flexibility in creating our own workshops because huh. Um, Strive at the time was only, you know, a few years old. It, it, it wasn't as established as it is now, as you might imagine. And so we had the, they told us from the beginning that we could create our own workshops. As a matter of fact, when I applied for the job, uh, uh, they told me that I had to actually do a presentation in front of the, in front of their orientation group, which is, you know, typically over a hundred people. So if you can imagine someone who's never done public speaking before, <laughs> all of a sudden you're told that in order to get this job, you're going to have to speak in front of 100 people uh, in this basement in Harlem. Um, I had to do some quick thinking about, well, what do I have to say? Um, well, how, how much time did you have to prepare for this? Was it was a, like short notice or was it, did you have like a day or two to... It was like, I think they gave me something like, uh, it was like a week or something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And... Um, now, were you is, sure you could do this, or, or were you just going to see what happens? I mean, what, what, what was your thought process when you were given I was that positive. assignment? I was positive. Huh? And it's so funny that you asked that, because that is what I do with the Burlack Method. I was positive because I came to understand that this is who I am. This is what uh -huh. I love to do. I mean, I, I just discovered, I, more, more excellent thing, more accurately, I remembered. Um, that I'm very good at connecting people. I'm very good at articulating um, very fundamental concepts to people in ways that gets them to see them in a new light. I remembered that. That's all who I've always been. And I've never, I had never been one who worried about, will this work out? I just knew it would. Um, call hmm. it faith, call it what you will, but that's always who I was. And so that's what I brought to the table. And I think that's what they saw in me and why I ultimately got the job. Uh, was because I was able to connect them to some, you know, to some very fundamental concepts about attitude and about success that I had not even truly explored on a conscious level myself at that point. But it was something I knew within, I, something I just had in me. And okay. uh, when I talk up to people about being successful, I talk about remembering who they are um, by mm -hmm. answering some very fundamental questions like who you are, you know, who are you? Um, and so um, I was able to walk it, walk through that, that, that initial 20 minute um, presentation that I did wound up becoming a two hour workshop that became fundamental to the orientation. It was something that it's funny because people, wherever I travel to, as you might imagine, when 60 minutes hit, um, Strive grew tremendously. And uh, literally grew all over the country and in other countries as well, like England, Puerto Rico, um, not another okay. country, but just, a, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. outside of the continent of the U.S. And so yeah. um, what that meant uh, for me was that I was given the freedom and the flexibility to then um, literally start creating. I knew that history was important to me. That was something I was discovering at that time. I was remembering history is important to me. And so if you can imagine, most people would tell you that knowledge of history or care about history has no place in a job training workshop. And I begged to differ. And so I was able to connect people to their past, to the history of who they were, their people, um, 
to get them to understand that that should impact their, their attitude in a positive way so that they can uh, be successful. And I'll give you a real fundamental example of that. Most of the participants in Strive had not worked in over a year. Um, many of them simply didn't know how to negotiate the business environment, right? They saw the streets as something different from business. And I, I beg to differ about that too. You know, the CEOs of your largest um, companies have the very same skills that your drug dealer on the corner has. Um, and and oh, yeah. those are some concepts that we would talk about. Um, and a lot of them who were, most of whom were in, were in Harlem, were black, Puerto Rican. Uh, many of them were terrified of sitting in front of a white person to interview. Mm -hmm. And it was something as basic and fundamental as, as that, that we discovered, right? And so for me, it was a matter of, getting them to understand that there's nothing to be terrified of. If you know who you are, if you know to whom you belong, if you have a sense of your history, the things that the people, your parents, your grandparents have already endured so that you can even be here, you have no reason to be afraid when you stand in front of anyone. Um, if you are self-aware, then you are powerful. Um, and that was a message that was created uh, right in that attitude workshop. Um, and wow, that was no, something uh, that I was able to bring. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. There, I, I, I won't even get to uh, 1% of the questions I have right now, but you just, you just said two things, and, 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 and I, I, I agree with them, but I don't know um, exactly what you mean, because you, you see, sure. I think it's two questions, but maybe it's one uh, that you're okay. asking of everybody, and you're saying, who are you, which of course is not as simple as it sounds, because I know uh, the first time I was asked that, I, I stumbled, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and then who do you belong to, which see, I think I got that right, but that seems like, like a totally different question. And I don't, uh, and I'm not sure how you, how you integrate those two, but I'd be interested in your, in your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me talk, let me just say what the Burlack Method does mm -hmm. is it gets the audience to remember who they are. Hmm. Um, it, it starts him on that journey by asking two simple they're fundamental questions, but as you already alluded to, they're very difficult to answer, I've found, over 25 years of doing it. Um, the first question I ask is, who are you? The first thing anyone does when I ask them who they are is they tell me their name. And I tell them, listen, I laugh and I say, you know, thank you for telling me what to call you, but that's not what I asked. What I asked is, who are you? And Jay, I'm telling you, over 20 years of doing, 25 years of doing this, people stumble with that. They can't answer it. Yeah. And then my follow-up question to that is, well, if you can't answer something as fundamental as who you are, how do you expect to be successful? Whether you start a business, whether you work for anyone else or not, how can you possibly be successful? Right? And so we explore all of that. And then the, the, the way to continue that exploration is to ask the second question, which is just as fundamental but just as difficult to answer, and that is to whom do you belong? Now, the mm -hmm. key is to do that in a safe environment because there, there's some spiritual elements to that, which of course, you know, a lot of people may shy away from because it's such a delicate matter, particularly in today's age. Yeah. However, yeah. I make sure that it's a safe environment by letting them know that their answer is safe here. What I mentioned and what I talked to the audience about is that their walk, everybody I believe is on their own particular walk right, their spiritual walk, whatever you want to call that, um, and that no one has the answer to their walk but they themselves. And so there's no right or wrong answer. They could be agnostic, they could be Christian, they could be Buddhist. It doesn't, to me, for the purposes of the Burlak Method, 
That is not what's important. What's important is can you articulate what your walk is and why um, that is your walk and how it impacts you, more importantly. And so mm-hmm. all of that is to get people to, to remember who they are. That's the purpose of all of that. Once they remember who they are, the next step of the Burlack Method is to get people to achieve their goals. And they achieve their goals by connecting to others in a spiritual and cultural sense and by having a positive impact on all around them. Um, but they can't do that unless they know who they are first, right? That's why it goes in that order, right? Once you remember who you are, you then can connect to others in a meaningful way, um, whatever that may mean. So let's say you want to start a business, right? You can't start a business unless you know why that business is being started. Who is the business, right? You, you're literally saying, who, who is, like, if you wanted to start J Sparks Incorporated, the question I would ask you is, what is J Sparks Incorporated? Who is it? What is it about, right? Um, yeah. And... In order, when you can answer that question, why you're doing it, the purpose of doing it, that's why you can. That's when you can become successful by then connecting to the right people, making the correct, uh, making the right networking decisions, um, having the right people in your corner to assist you with business, um, and then you can have the impact that you desire with your business. Yeah, no, that, that that's fascinating. I've never uh, heard um, a process described just that way. We certainly have lots of evidence, even scientific evidence, that, that this is exactly um, correct uh, and, and, and will work. Can, can, you put, can you give one uh, example that's got a little more de- details where, where someone, you know, initially couldn't answer either one of those questions? Cause I, I think very few people can without some guidance from someone like yourself who, who knows where to go without um, giving the answers, right? Um, sure. And, sure. And, how, and how that changed what they what they did, whether it was a group or an individual. I, I think that would be Absolutely. really, uh, really interesting. Absolutely. I, I actually yeah. can stay with Thrive. Um, as you can imagine, okay. once 60 Minutes aired, it grew tremendously. All of these different organizations mm-hmm. started connecting and becoming part of the Strive network, right, under the Strive umbrella. Um, mm-hmm. Over the next few years, that turned out to be a challenge because each of the different organizations that joined had their own raison d'etre. They had their own way of doing business, right? They yeah. had their own rules, their own standards, right? And it became a challenge because then, you know, someone who went into, you know, Strive in, you know, in Butte, Montana, you know, um, was very different than the person who went through in Texas, right? And so that's not what you want. You want people that, that come through your organization that, that are a product of your organization to look the same, to sound the same, to, you know, to have the same message of what that business was. So what they did was they started a training academy in which they actually brought all of the organizations back together and actually had to re-examine the fundamental questions. What is Strive? What does it mean when somebody comes through our doors and comes out on the other end ready to work, right? What does that look like? What does it sound like? Like what is important to us when we come through? Is it important that we graduate the most people as possible? Is it important that we graduate any number of people, but that they are of quality? And believe it or not, something that simple is different organization by organization, 
right? Particularly when oh, you sure, start sure. talking about funding, because when you talk about government funding, government funding, of course, is, is focused mainly on numbers, right? So yeah. you will find organizations that will overlook quality so that they can get paid. Right. And, you know, that's sure. I won't say any names, but that's yeah. what winds up happening. Right. And yeah, so Strive yeah. determined that that is not who Strive was. And so by reexamining the question of who is Strive, what is Strive, it caused mm-hmm. the, the newer organizations in the organization to reexamine how they do business and what their final product should look like, what it should look like, what their people should sound like look like mm-hmm. right how they should talk speak etc um and it, and it, so w- was it, there was there any was there any was there any um agreement on who strive was before you had this conversation or was it just kind of all over the map and and you had there to, to was or... until the newer organizations joined it was uh-huh. it was having that of that huge growth spurt um yep that actually created the chaos. It's funny, you would think that's what all businesses want, right? All businesses want to grow, right? And I would submit that any business that grows, particularly if they grow very quick, very quickly, they will find that same challenge. They ultimately are gonna have to go back to some fundamentals, this is a baseball, right? That they have to go right back to that again. I think every organization, I think that's a natural process the burlap yeah. method brings them through that process uh, by bringing them back. Like for instance, I, I actually did some workshops for a, um, I did some workshops for a, um, for a hospital conglomerate, um, a healthcare conglomerate in the Baltimore area. One of the issues they were dealing with was that they had nurses, uh, their nurse team from one department was struggling mightily with, uh, their interactions with staff from other departments. And I had to bring them back to, again, why are you even here, right? What does it mean for you to be in the healthcare profession, right? And it's funny, that sounds like such a simple question, but by them exploring that and answering that, it got them to understand that their reason for being there, their reason for being in healthcare was much more important than the petty day-by-day issues they were dealing with with other staff members and that by remembering uh-huh. some fundamental basics of what they were even doing there that they were able to overcome some challenges that they were having with other staff and by by starting with who are you and why are you here i was then able to bring them to well how are you connected do they feel the same way do they not and then having them have those fundamental conversations and by doing that by doing that, their team building efforts and their their productivity skyrocketed because now they realized that what they were arguing about had nothing to do with why they were even there. Um, and again, it sounds simple, it sounds fundamental, but people forget that. That's why I keep yeah, saying yeah, remember, yeah. not discover. People yeah. forget those fundamentals when they're dealing with day-to-day life, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and you have to experience it too because I know that that's why um, – I haven't been able to travel as much as I want to, but every time I go somewhere outside of our borders, you, you're just reminded how we're all the same, right? Yeah. You know, you hear all yeah. these these stereotypes, but you meet the people. It's like they're just like me and you, speak a right. different language and have a little different structure, but you know, they they you know love their families and their country and people people around them. <clears throat> excuse me, just like we do. So, you now how does and, 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 you know in both of those cases, how does because this is the one I'm struggling with a little bit. To whom do you belong? It almost sounds mm-hmm. You know, restrictive, or mm-hmm. or or um, you know, you need to to um, you know 
follow someone else's direction, right? Which mm-hmm. is which is not what anybody wants. Nobody likes to be managed. But I know that's not what you right. mean, but how how does that how does that interact with you know after you discover who you are? And do you have to? Is it better to do it in, in that order? You know, who are you, and then to whom do you belong, or does it not really matter as much depending on the on the situation? Generally mm-hmm. speaking, for all of the workshops, because the workshops cover everything from team building to leadership development, parenting, uh, community impact, um, spiritual mm-hmm. and cultural connection, awareness, self-awareness, uh, faith. All of those are covered in the Burlap Method. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, it doesn't matter the order, although there is a, okay. there is a specific order that I created them and that, that, I, would, that I would recommend. Um, I always say you start with self-awareness. Right. I think more than anything, you have to start with self-awareness. Nothing, nothing else can be really explored or discovered until you are self-aware. Um, so I, I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because needless to say, it's a very delicate matter to whom do you belong, right? Because it's a very mm-hmm. personal issue. The key for me, and in the book, and Broadcaster and a Champion, I talk about that mm-hmm. in, the, in the prologue, that um, when I talk about faith, which is the second workshop in the Burlake Method, right? I'm talking about your personal walk, whatever that may be, and that um, the key is that the answer that any individual has is faith with me because I see no need to argue with it, right? The reason why I have no need to argue with somebody's faith walk is that I'm self-aware. I know what mine is. I know how it impacts me. What I've discovered in the faith workshop in particular, I do a comparative analysis between faith and religion. See, that's where people get caught up. They think they're thinking I'm speaking of religion. I'm not. I'm speaking about faith, which is something different than organized religion, right? Now, of course, they are connected, and for many people, they're inter they're intertwined. Um, however, what we discover at the end of the faith workshop is that no matter what religion you may or may not espouse. What's taught is, is very similar. It's very much the same. What really matters is how do you treat one another? I'll give you a perfect example of that. The reason why I talk about remembering who you are as opposed to discovering is because I believe that we are born already knowing. We're born very clear about who we are and how we're connected to others. People look at a child, a newborn, and they say that they're innocent. I submit to you that it's not innocence. It's actually self-awareness. For instance, When you look at children, they don't care what color you are. They couldn't care less what religion you you espouse. They don't care whether you're male or female. They don't care if you're young or old. They don't care if you have the, you know, if you are healthy, if you're not healthy. They couldn't care less. The only thing children care about is how do you treat them? That's all they worry about. How do you treat them? And then they will treat you accordingly, right? And we lose that as we become adults. And so what only thing I explore with to whom do you belong, the main thing I explore is can you articulate what your walk is? Because if you can, you will discover you have no need to argue with anyone because you realize that we're all here to treat each other with love, honor, dignity, and respect. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still not sure. I understand when you say to whom do you belong, like what, what are some examples that might <laughs> come up or answers that people would, that would be, you know, uh, if you if you can share sure. any of those. If it's not sure. No, of course. Thank, thank you. And I love that you do this, Jay, because you, you, 
you always help to bring me down to the brass tacks, which I, I love. And you know, as you can imagine, <laughs> this can be very, very opaque. So yep. when I say to you, whom do you belong? People will come up with very interesting answers. Some people will say, I just belong to me. Right? I don't yeah. believe in God. I don't have any particular faith. I just believe that you make your own way. And I say that's great. Right? What does that mean to you? Right? How, does that, mm-hmm. how does that guide your decisions in terms of how you treat others? Right? And then they explore that. Right? Somebody will say, well, I belong to God. Right? I, am a, I am a Christian. I, you know, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I say, okay, that's great. The point then is, how does that, how does that inform your decisions about how you treat people? about how you expect them to treat you. And they explore that. And guess what? The answers are very similar. The yeah. answers are very similar to the same person, to the person who says that he's agnostic, right? Or they'll say, I belong to, you know, wherever. No, I be- I'm, I'm Buddhist, right? And I belong to yeah. the spirit world, right? And I belong, my spirit is, is all powerful. And I say, okay, that's great. How does that inform how you treat people and how you expect them to treat you? Because that has direct implication, for instance, at a company. Imagine you have a company that's, that's all over the country and you have, you have people who are male, female, Buddhist, Christian. You have people from all walks of life. How do you expect them to operate as a team if they don't explore those things? Right? Because if you don't, you will find yourself, um, you will find yourself with leadership problems, with team building problems. You'll find yourself not being as productive. Um, your, your team won't be as productive as it needs to be because they're wrestling with some fundamental issues they may not even be aware that they're wrestling with. For instance, like the nurses that I've talked about, they just didn't realize that they were wrestling with some fundamental stuff that had nothing to do with their own walks or their own purpose of being there, right? They, they were just, you know, they were mad because this person, you know, had a, had a shiny red car and was talking about my car. You know, that has nothing to do with why you're there as a healthcare professional. That has nothing to do with why that person is there. Um, so how would so, you, because right now, because right now, I mean, just this struck me too, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like well, it, it, right now people feel they belong to a certain political party or don't belong to a certain mm, political party, right? Mm-hmm, and then that completely mm-hmm. colors everything they do and say yes. right now, it's at an extreme, but I hope we, we move beyond quickly, but sounds yes. like we, we need to, we need to, we need some burlap method here. <laughs> yes. How, if, if you could, if you could talk to like the leaders of the parties, right. Let's just say it's, it's yeah. truly just a political thing that, that I, I, this is not a you know political show, of course, but how, sure. cause that seems to be so polarized right now. How would you sure. um, a, a approach that? Or what types of questions would you have people ask? You've got two groups of, of extreme uh, views in, in, in two different uh, parties, whether it's in this country or another country that mm-hmm. seems to be very similar around the world right now. How, how would you mm-hmm. uh, approach that to get people, you know, moving forward? Oh, that's awesome. Together? Thank you, Jay. That's, that's perfect. That's, that's absolutely perfect. The question, the first question is, if you could call yourself a Republican, then who are you as a Republican? What does that mean? What does it look like? Right? What's your purpose as a Republican? Right? Uh, because ultimately, when you ask who you are, what you're really talking about is purpose. That's why I say the Burlack method, what we do is we get people to, this, to remember their purpose, right? So what's your yeah. purpose as a Republican? Well, you know, public, Republicans will say, you know, ultimately that it's about love of country and that it's about doing what's best for America, right? Mm-hmm. I would ask the same thing of Democrats. What is your purpose? What is, well, who are you as a Democrat? What's your purpose as a Democrat? And they will say that, you know, ultimately it's for the benefit of America and that they, you know, they love America, right? At the end of the day. Now, how they get there is what's different, right? What they argue yep. about all the time is the differences in how they make America the, the great country that it's promised to be, 
right? And so then the next question is, well, to whom do you belong, right? If you say that I belong to America and you all say that, then that means that in some way you are connected. So let's explore that. And what I would get Republicans and Democrats to do is to start exploring the ways in which they are connected in their love of America, right? What does that mean? What is that connection, right? Explore that, right? Challenge them to say, well, I love America, so I believe that we should, you know, have universal health care. Well, I love America, so I believe that we should have a strong military. Okay, so since you both love America and you both are connected in that way, how do we make it so that you both get what you're looking for, which is an America yeah. that is the greatest it can be, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. again, there may be argument, there may be, there may be fussing and fighting, but it, that's what families do. But at the end of the day, if they, are, if they are stay true to their connections, if they stay focused yeah. on the fact that they both love America and they both are connected in that way, then that means they don't have to argue about who's right, who's wrong, right? It, you, we get caught up in who's right or who's wrong because we don't understand that this person is connected in any meaningful way. For instance, we see, we see you know, Republicans or Democrats as the other, right? And yes. that, would yep. be the, that would be the work to get them to stop seeing each other as the other, but see them as the same with different worldviews. That is the fundamental work yeah. of the Yeah, because it feels like, you know, even, you know, when, when you and I were, were younger, that what you just described is, is how things operated, uh, you know, a little more closely to that anyways. It's yeah. more uh, debating the ideas, not necessarily, um, yeah. you know, what party you, you belong to. So obviously there's been some sort of switch over the last couple of decades, but uh, that's, a, that's really a very simple uh, idea, and I think we need to get you in front of Congress and get the... <laughs> <laughs> get, a, yes. get a representative trained on that because I think that, that, that yeah. we, would, we would move through a lot of things. But you also said something, too, along those lines that, again, you know, there's always a, you know, a yin and a yang. There is no, yes. um, you know, what one, one or the other, so you have to figure out how they're integrated, and that's why I love that, that concept. But, you know, you talked about everyone on their own walk, but you also talked how everyone's connected. And that's, you, you brought that to my attention, Steve, you know, decades ago, and that's really changed how I view everything. And uh, yes. so thank you for doing that. And and giving me the context because I, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I don't know why you believe that, and that's really, really true. But, but um, you know, th those things seem um, contradictory uh, on, on some level. But you know, but they're not, right? They're they're, they're part of the, yeah. the same piece. Could you talk about how they how they are uh, related? Uh, you know, that we're, we're on our own walk, uh, and we need to know what that walk is, but we're also connected, too. So it's not like yeah. we're just a bunch of random people bouncing around the universe, yeah. which is what yeah. people thought of, you know, many years ago. I think that was a, a more prevalent idea. I think now we're thinking about maybe we're connected, but we're losing the fact that you need to figure out where you're going, too. Right? So you need to do yeah. both. Yeah. Well, first of all, this isn't a new concept, right? I, I have to say, I did not create this as a concept. It's a very old concept, right? Mm -hmm. That you can have your own unique walk. It's funny, talk about unique value, right? What, you, what you're yep. talking about is bringing people to their unique value. That's because they have their unique walk, right? Their value is unique for them. However, they still have purpose that's tied to others. The first thing I would say is when you, just, when you remember what your purpose is, the first thing you're going to re remember is that your purpose has nothing to do with you. People, people think that they're looking for their purpose because they want to know why they're there. It's not about why they're there. It's about how they're going to impact others. Your purpose is tied to your gift, 
right? Whatever your gift is, some people can sing, some people can dance, some people know math. Whatever your yeah. whatever your unique gift is, that is tied to your purpose, right? And whatever your purpose is, it's always about impacting others in a positive way. It's never about just your benefit, right? That's just not how things work, right? So the um, and band, there's actually a, um, a TV series called Band of Brothers, right, in which they they followed this uh, unit during World War II when they went through their training in Georgia. Um, they had to mm -hmm. run up and down this mountain, which was named Curahee. Now, Curahee was a native name for that mountain, which, stand, which means we stand alone together. What a unique mm -hmm. concept, right? We, what an interesting, yeah. we stand alone together, right? And the idea is, is that even though each individual is alone as a group, they are alone, they are unique, and yet they are together, right? So that those individuals stand alone, but they connect to everyone in the group, and then as a group, they are alone, right? And yet they are united in purpose, right? They're united um, in idea, in worldview, right? And those, the, the idea of being alone and being connected to others they do not conflict. They actually are yin and yang. They work together. Um, and so I think when people see themselves as pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, I have to say, there's not one person who's been successful in life because they did the work all by themselves. Somebody helped them, sure. right? Yeah. Somebody was there to assist them. There was some network that they had that, that brought them, you know, um, out of, the struggle that they had to their success, right? So even though they are alone, even though they're doing the work alone, they still are connected to people who assist them at the critical moment, right? And it's funny because people talk about, you know, with business, if you're starting a business, understand you are going to struggle, right? There's going to be yeah. a big struggle. There's no one becomes successful in business because they had money, right? Nobody yeah. became successful in business because they had a whole network. They became successful because they did the work that they had to do, and then at the critical moment, right, somebody was there to help them. Yeah. Um, somebody pushed them um, over the edge uh, to success. And so, so again, um, the concept of being alone, having your own faith walk, and being connected mm -hmm. to others not only don't conflict, they're, imp they, they're necessary to one another. And you have to know what that all looks like for you if you're ever going to be successful in business or otherwise. Mm -hmm. No, I totally, uh, totally agree. Um, yeah, you've hit a, 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 bunch of, a bunch of things here. And I'm wondering, in your journey, well, one thing that always um, um, in, impressed me is, and I'm not sure how this happened, how this you know necessarily changed your your thinking or formed some of the thinking that you have now. But you know, being uh, someone who grew up in the Bronx, you ended up going to uh, one of the best, if not the best, you know, private high school in the whole country, right? Now, that's a very different world. It's not based in the Bronx, right? It's uh, up, yes. up near uh, up near me. What, what was that experience like? That that was not a. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't a, a smooth transition and um uh, but, but you you learned a lot even though it wasn't uh it wasn't maybe the the smoothest or, 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 the, or the easiest so how, how did that how did that shape 
some of your some of your thoughts because that, that must have oh, been wow. like you know night and day, right? Uh, when 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 that yeah. happens, that also you know a young young part of your life too, where you're you're very open to things or very closed, depending on how you view the world. So yes, uh, well, um, again, I'm from the Bronx. When, when I was 14, um, I was selected to attend uh, Phillips Academy Andover uh, in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm which at the time was the number one ranked prep school in the country. Um, and to say that it was a culture shock for me <laughs> would, <laughs> would be probably the understatement of the year. I mean, it, yeah. you know, um, what was fascinating about Andover to me was that, um, you know, one of the things they told us, you know, when, before we got there was that, you know, we were going to have to adjust to the culture. Um, you know, yeah. we're talking about the disco sucks era. Right? We're talking about, yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. Is when, you know, this was, this was, you know, acid rock and, you know, all that. And I'm from the Bronx listening to like hip hop, yeah. you know, the very beginning yeah. of hip hop, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they said, your, your grades will drop. Um, uh, you're going to have a difficult mm-hmm. time. I was like, I'm Steve Burlack. What do you mean? I'm, I'm going to be great. Right. And sure enough, you, 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 even had, had a, you even had hair back then, right? Yeah, yeah. How about that? Like the nerve of me. I, I had full afro, as a matter of fact. You know, all power to the people, baby. And so um, I get to Andover, and uh, I was in a quad room, four people in the room. Two, um, two of my roommates were from Massachusetts, and the other one was from Valley, Nebraska. Um, oh. You know, and so the very first thing I learned was that there are people in this world who don't look like me, who don't have the yeah. same experience that I do, that have a different worldview than I do, who experience religion differently. I've never seen anyone outside of a, a Baptist before. Um, uh-huh. And it was, it was a very finely tuned, very in-your-face um, educational lesson about finding ways to connect to people on a spiritual and cultural level. That's one of the foundational premises of the Burlak Method. It's where I got it from. Um, But the only way I could survive at Andover would be to find a way to connect to people on a meaningful level culturally and then ultimately spiritually, although I wasn't really conscious of that walk at that time, without losing who I saw myself to be anyway. And that's the important part. That's, that's where, you know, a lot of students like me struggled was that, you know, we find ourselves, you know, in this world with, you know, people of a different finance, financial background, um, completely different cultural background. Um, and we, you know, how do you create, how do you cope in that? You know, when the music you listen to is laughed at, Right. How do you cope with yeah. the fact that your roommate is looking on the dresser and saying, what the heck is that? And you're like, what? You're looking at your dresser and you don't see anything unusual. And they're pointing at yeah. your hair grease. And they're saying, yeah. you know, what is that? And I said, what do you mean? What is that? That's my hair grease. And I remember my roommate looking at me like, you put grease in your hair? Like he just could not understand the concept. But that's something that was yeah. fundamental to who I was. What do you mean? You don't put grease in your hair? Like, what, what are you talking yeah. about? You know, and it's funny because that sounds like such a simple thing. But when you compound that with everything else, my music was different. My hair grease was different. The fact that I used a pick was different, right? Everything about me was different. 
and now all of a sudden I'm I'm feeling like I'm different. But no, I'm no different than who I ever was. So how yeah. do I survive? So right? how did how you? So because because the rest, most of the rest of the student population, they didn't feel different when they were there. This was you know very, um, you know, this is what they were what they were used to. So it must have been incredibly stressful. So why why did you stay? In that situation, well, you know, because you could have just gone back or gone to a different school, right? You there, you had yes. you had options. Um, yeah. What 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 kept you uh, there? Were, were the aspects that you really enjoyed, or was it just that you started this and you wanted to finish it, and that that's that's really all there was to it? And you weren't going to let anyone, you know, kind of make you feel that you didn't, uh, you couldn't, or wouldn't. There were two. <clears throat> there were two reasons. Um, three mm-hmm. actually. Three reasons mm-hmm. why I was able to make it. First was that by the end of my first year at Andover, I connected with a group called AFLAT-AM, which is the Afro-Latino American Society, which um, for all intents and purposes was the Black Student Union, right? Um, I struggled mightily. In fact, I remember sitting in my room crying one night um, because I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, I couldn't Mm -hmm. take being different anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then once I connected with AFLAT-AM, I found that I had my home base again, right? I didn't have to explain things like why I put hair grease in my hair, right? I didn't have to explain yeah. why I put lotion on my skin. You know, I, I didn't have yeah. to explain any of that. And so once I found that and I had my home base, I then had the confidence and, and the self-awareness, right? That I had the home base enough where I could then go out and feel comfortable exploring the culture of others. Um, that was so important. Without that, I don't think I would have made it. Um, and that's why self-awareness is so important to the Burlack method. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you're about and be surrounded with people who understand that in order for you to feel safe enough to connect to others, right? The second thing was that my mm-hmm. friends back home um, were very understanding of, that, of my journey. Um, a lot of students in my situation didn't make it in their prep schools because when they went back home, they caught flack from their mm-hmm. friends, you know, about, oh, you changed. Now you think you're all that, right? Now you talk yeah, this way yeah. and you say this thing. Yeah. And their friends would be the ones that would turn on them. So now they not yeah. only don't belong at school, they no longer belong at home. And there, yeah. there's actually books that have been written about the experience of, of African-American students as they go through that. Um, uh-huh. And it, you literally get caught between the two worlds. I escaped that because my friends at home were very understanding of that. Um, they they had always accepted me for who I was, and that was important as well. So when you find that acceptance, you find the strength to, to carry forward. The third were some very specific teachers um, at Andover um, who were instrumental um, in my being able to make it. Uh, Mr. Bernieri, Lou Bernieri was probably my favorite teacher there. He was an English teacher. I remember him to this day because the way he taught us was not about, it wasn't about the work. It was about the effort, right? He didn't care yeah. about what we knew. He cared about the effort we put, we put into knowing it. Um, I'll, and I'll, it's funny. Education doesn't just happen in the classroom. Right. In an environment like that, it happens, yeah. matter of fact, most of your education, I would submit, happens outside the class. The class I remember the most in my entire year, years, all of my years in Andover, was the, was the time that we went to Lou Bernieri's English class 
and none of us had done the assignment. It was a reading assignment. And he sat there and, you know, he was asking questions about this portion of the assignment, that portion of the assignment, and nobody was answering. It was just dead quiet. And we've all been part of that class, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I'll never forget, I'll never forget, he just looked so disappointed. He never raised his voice. He didn't get angry. He just said, you know what, guys? If you're not going to do the work, there's no point in you being here. You guys just go. I will never forget. We just sat there, and Lou was always like happy-go-lucky. Yes, this is the right answer. Yeah, yeah he's going to get all excited. The fact that he did that, and we just sat there for like five minutes looking at him. He never said another word. He just sat there. And then we yeah. all got you, up and You, you probably wanted him to get mad at you, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been good, yeah. Classroom. Yeah, we walked out of that classroom, and I determined that no matter what, I would always get his work done. Um, yeah. And it, it taught me a work ethic that perhaps I didn't have because everything before had come so easy to me, you know, in terms of academics, everything was easy. I always just got it right. It wasn't like that at Andover. I had to work for it and uh, it taught yeah. me work ethic um, that, you know, things are not going to always be easy to you. And then when they're not easy for you, what are you going to do? Right. Are you going to just stop because it's not easy? You're going to continue to work hard. Sure. No. Well, that's really, I, I didn't, I never knew all this, Steve, and this is really incredible because it shows um, not only do you need help, right? And to your point, nobody the successful has ever done it by themselves. I don't know a single person either that has gotten to where they are by themselves, but also you have to be smart enough to know who's, uh, you know, to ask for the help and, and to follow, which is also hard. Yes. I, I've yeah. been given, I've been given lots of good advice along the way. I didn't listen to it all the time, right? Yeah. My own, uh, to my own detriment, right? But you, uh, yeah. but you did, and and uh, you know, it gave you lots of uh, lots of options in, in the future. And uh, moreover, you've you've passed that along to a lot of other people. I know I've I've received a lot of great uh, advice from you over the uh, over the years yes. too. So that's uh, yes. yeah, I know that's that's really uh, that's really in, uh, in incredible. And uh, just one other thing, this this name keeps coming into my head um, the whole time you're talking, particularly when you're talking about you know who who are you. And uh, uh, I know there's two men in, in your life that you've talked about uh, from time to time that were incredibly important to you. And one of them was, was uh, uh, Gilliam Moore, um, which mm. at 30,000 feet, we, and people will wonder, well, wh why you didn't have a lot of contact with this man? But he was, of course, very important, not just because of who he, who he is, his title, but because of what he, uh, you know, what he, what he meant to you uh, going yeah. forward. Could you, do you feel comfortable talking about him a little bit? Absolutely. Was, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Well, Gilliam Moore was my father. Um, Gilliam Moore uh, was killed uh, in action in Vietnam um, seven months after I was born. So he never physically saw me. Um, and yet, um, as you might imagine, uh, I was regaled with stories about who he was, right? What he was about. Um, and what was fascinating to me from the very beginning was that as, as I listened to people describe him, I realized that that was me, right? That when they described how he handled conflict, right? Like my mother would uh -huh. talk about times that she would argue and fuss with him, right? And yeah. when she talked about how he would handle that, like he literally would just sit there and smile at her and not say a word. And, you know, and she would talk about how that would infuriate her. Like, she just wanted him to respond, right? Like, you know, she would, yeah. you know, fuss at him. And anybody that knows my mother, 
already can pick yeah. this, right? She's like bopping yeah, yeah. and tossing and going off. And he's just yeah. sitting there looking at her like, are you done? <laughs> and yeah. when I realized, wow, that's me. Like, that's who I am. I realized that the question of who you are goes beyond just what you have experienced. That's why mm-hmm. I said history is so important to understand because if you, you have to know who your parents were, who your grandparents were, because they are in you, right? You have to know all of these things in order to effectively communicate and, and connect to other people, right? And so mm-hmm. Gillian Moore taught me that who I am goes way beyond um, what I have experienced as an individual on, on, in this life. Um, that part of who I am um, was given to me um, as a birthright you know, by the people mm-hmm. who have come before me. Um, and so it's, you know, what my father means to me, one is sacrifice. You know, my father is forever 19 years old. Um, yeah. That's something I think about every day. He is forever 19 years old. Um, when I, and, and so when I think of sacrifice, right, when I think of honor, uh, when I think of service, I think of my father. Um, when I think of understanding, you know, self-awareness and the key that self-awareness plays in my success, I think of my father. Um, When I tell other people that in order to be successful in business, you need to know the reason for your business. You have to know how who you are impacts your own business. I think of my father. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in many ways, when you start a business, you are the father or the mother of that business. Um, And your business will be successful um, in, in many ways, dependent upon your, your own self-awareness, your own sense of reason, um, you know. In fact, that's, that's one of two things I would tell anyone starting a business. The first thing is there's no, there's no, there's no such thing as someone who is just successful in business and, and other people who struggle. The fact is everyone struggled, right? Everybody struggled. Mm-hmm. The ones who are successful are the ones who push through. Um, and it's funny, it sounds like such a disconnected concept, but you can't push through unless you can answer who you are. Right? You get, that's where you get the strength to push through from. You get that strength. You get the ability to fight through um, all of the adversities of your business, of your life, of your, of your work life, um, by understanding that there's a higher purpose based on who you already remember yourself to be. Hmm. So yeah, no, that's so incredible. that's who that's who yeah. Moore is to me. Yeah, and uh, that that's very uh, very powerful. I didn't realize he was uh, nineteen when he was there, right? Because that was yeah. that was I think the average age of yeah. uh, the men at, at that point, which is really uh, incredible to think about. Um, yeah. our, our kids are almost there. I, I wouldn't want them yeah. in that situation, sure. right? It's just uh, absolutely incredible thing. Now the other the other uh, man that you mentioned uh, from time to time with uh, just as, as much reverence was your was your grandfather. How did how did he shape uh, shape some of the, the, your thoughts that maybe became part of the, the Burlack method or just you know how you view the world in general? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my grandfather, as you might imagine, given that my father was killed, he was my father figure. In fact, my mother and mm-hmm. I lived with my grandparents, uh, her parents, until I was five. Um, So my grandfather taught me two things. He taught me how to be a man. You know, grandpa was Mm -hmm. the one that dressed in a suit and tie and a fedora, right, left every day, right? And 
um, to this day, you know, when I put on a suit and tie, I'm putting a fedora, you know, and people look at me like I'm crazy, right? And it's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's who I am, you know? Um, yeah. And um, the other thing that he taught me was what it meant to be a burlap. Um, talk about the ultimate huh. self-awareness, right? Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, again, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up around, you know, some folks who, you know, did things. And I remember I had some friends who were like, yeah, you know, we're going to go in the store, right, in the corner store, you know, take some stuff, you know, whatever, you know, come on with us. And I remember being really hesitant because I, that just wasn't me, but, you know, it was my friends, right? So I went. And sure enough, I went and I stole some things out of the, yeah. you know, some some things off the rack and I put them in my coat and, you know, and I had to look like, you know, I was doing something, you know, because I, I really didn't feel kind of feel like it, right? Yeah. And sure enough, the yeah. guy, mind you, this is the corner store that we went to every day. Like, they knew me. They knew sure. my mother, right? They knew all the, yeah. so the guy that owned the store, he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? Right? And I'm like, oh, no, my God, you know, and so he opens my coat and he sees me. I'd stolen all these things. And the first thing yeah. he did, he told my mother. First thing my mother did, <laughs> anybody has old school parents. Uh, my yeah. mother uh, tore my behind up, right? Yeah, um, and I don't sure. remember it though. I don't remember the the beating, but the first, but I, what I do remember is that she, of course, told her parents. And yeah. the very next time I went to my grandparents' house, my grandfather, who never ever raised his voice to me, just brings me back to the bedroom. He t- tells me to sit down. I sit on the bed, and he said, "Son." He said, let me tell you something. It'll start with this. And he took a pencil and he put it on the end table. So the next Mm -hmm. thing you know, it'll be this. And he took this uh, box of tissues and he put it next to the pencil. So the next thing you know, it'll be that. And he points to this lamp, right? So, of course, he was saying it gets bigger and bigger. Like once you start on this journey, right, it gets bigger and bigger. And I'll never forget what he told me next. You know what he said? It was so simple. He said, (laughs) Burlax don't do that. As simple as that. Ah. Burlax don't do that. He then told me the story about his son, right, my uncle, who is a court officer. You know, I had spent, you know, decades as a court officer. He told me about him being, you know, my grandfather being uh, a mm-hmm. private detective for over 30 years uh, in New York City um, and his work with the law. And he said, Burlax have mm-hmm. always been on the right side of the law. You know, he said, we simply do not do that. That is not who we are. And he turned on his heel and walked out the door and left me there with my thoughts. <laughs> and that is why I tell anyone who will listen, I yell it from the mountaintops. <laughs> you will never, ever be successful in anything you do until you explore who you are. I found out that day who I was, right? Yeah. I found out that who I was will impact the decisions I make, right? It impacts how I deal with other people. Knowing who you are will impact the people you network with. It will impact the type of business you start. It will impact the type of work that you do. It will impact how Mm -hmm. you view your work. It will have an impact on all of that. And if if you're just going bouncing around without exploring that, you'll find yourself doing just that for your entire life, just bouncing around, not really having an impact on anyone or anything. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's fascinating. And, and um, um, your grandfather was a very smart man, right? You know, very, very yeah. few words. And he said something to you that impacted you your whole lifetime in, in the right way. And you, you do the same thing. So you obviously learned it, learned it well. Um, and it reminds me, too, of some things you, you told me about yourself that, that – 
I, again, I hadn't thought of it, even though I'd known you, but, you know, how is this impacted by how the world sees you? Because when I met you, you know, when we were both much, much younger, um, you know, you looked, you know, if I were to characterize, you know, your appearance with the flat top and the thin mustache, I'd say, oh, yeah. Steve must be Puerto Rican, right? And, and then right. as you get older, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, someone that saw you and didn't know anything else say, oh, he's probably considers himself, uh, you know, African-American based on the way you dress yeah. and, and wear your your hair and you know you look on your knuckles which you showed me one time and they're red so it's like if you just saw his knuckles say, oh, you, must be, you must be native american right yeah and then if you, yeah. you look at your last name burlack well you must be german it's probably right european <laughs> and you're all of those right they're all yeah. correct yeah. so h- how do you um how did that you know reconcile itself with you or did you ever was it was it ever competing or did, was it all just you know this is just who i am or did you have to learn that over over time it was something that I had to to remember um, mm-hmm. as I got older. Um, but you're exactly correct. I am all of those things. And it's why it's so important to me to get people to understand that the second step to being successful is to connect to others, even if they don't look like you, even if they don't share mm-hmm. um, the same mm-hmm. worldview, because you don't know the ways in which you may be connected. For instance, there's a Steve Burlack. Um, who's in the New England area, um, who's a white male, right, who doesn't look mm-hmm. anything like me. And if you saw him, you would think he had nothing to do with me, except that we are, all, we, we are both connected um, by common uh, family roots. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so what that taught me, and, and that is why spiritual and cultural connection, in particular cultural connection, is, is a linchpin of the Burlack method. Uh, because that's mm-hmm. part of the success process is getting to understand that, you know, if you are in business and there is someone that you need to network with or want to partner with who is of a different faith, um, who has a different religion, uh, who is of a different gender, who's from a different country, who may speak a different language, that is not as important as the fact that you can connect with them in a meaningful way. Um, that will have a positive impact on your business. The trick is understanding how. Like if someone tells me they're Native American, I can say, yeah, you know, I'm, I have roots there too. If somebody says that they're Puerto Rican or if they're Latino, yeah, I have roots there too. And I can connect with them in a meaningful way. Um, if there's somebody who wants to do business with me, but they're from Peru, um, I can connect with them in a meaningful way. Um, even if I struggle with, with Spanish, um, I can still connect with what it means to be Latino um, and what those roots mean um, in, in our connection to one another. I can do business with them. Um, if there's someone who is Jewish, I can do, I am connected to them in a meaningful way. Um, and and more, more importantly, I can articulate what that connection is, right? If they come to me and if they approach me in a way that they, they you know, they see me as other, or different than I can say, yeah. oh no, no, let me let's talk about these roots. My name is Burlak, and so from a Prussian mm-hmm. Jewish man, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how we're connected and stop looking at these differences as some sort of challenge because it's not. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it taught me that um, knowing this history of mine taught me that I can connect to anyone in a meaningful and positive way. Um, and that's what the Burlack method teaches them. Remember 
your purpose, achieve your goals, right? You can't achieve your goals alone. You have to have people powerful enough and network with you. And they don't have to look like you for you to network with them. They don't have to speak the same language for you to network with them. They don't have to believe in the same religion for you to network with them in a positive and meaningful way that impacts your business, that impacts what you do um, in a powerful and meaningful way. Your business can thrive with people from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, uh, because specifically if you as the leader can get them to communicate and connect with one another in powerful and meaningful ways. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Um, one of the newest workshops I created was a diversity workshop. Come to find out, mm-hmm. one of the big challenges in diversity is a gentleman by the name of Putnam who discovered, uh, Mr. Putnam discovered that diversity actually is a major challenge and that it's not necessarily the positive thing everyone thinks. What he discovered in his research was that when people find themselves surrounded by people from different cultures and backgrounds, they tend to isolate themselves. And that that is something that bears true, you know, through different um, ethnicities, through different languages, that people, when they find themselves in diverse cultures or within a diverse group, they separate themselves out, right? They shut themselves down. Um, and that the challenge to diversity isn't just getting people together from different worldviews or different backgrounds, it's getting them to get over that initial human instinct to pull away from the group, right? And that's the work, right? That's what the Burlack Method does. It gets, like, if I come to a company and I notice that there are people from different backgrounds, I automatically know that one of the challenges they face is that people are going to see this, you know, diverse culture, and they're going to do the opposite of what you would expect, and that they'll pull away from each other. And by understanding mm-hmm. that, I then can find a way to get them over that hump. Because ultimately, the, the beauty of diversity is, is that once they get over that, then productivity soars because, you know, obviously when you have a diverse group and you have a diverse team, the fact that they have different worldviews, different experiences helps the company grow because now they're, they're much, the, the team is much more dynamic in its approaches to challenges, right, and overcoming challenges. Um, but, um, but knowing that having the cultural background helped me to explore something like that. Like that's, that's all I was thinking about when I created this diversity workshop. That's incredible because I know a lot of companies that are struggling with that and I've never heard it explained just like that, right? Like n- nothing you're saying is, is revolutionary and some of what you're saying, yeah. like you said earlier, is, is you know, you can, you can go back to the Bible, the Quran, or you, you'll see it in there. So it's not like it hasn't yeah. been around for centuries, but how do you, how do you, uh, how do you put it together? And, and you found a way to, uh, to do that and also for people to be um, in a way that people will listen, right? That's the other thing too. You yeah. don't want to you want to preach. You want people to see from their own perspective. And so your all, all of your methods start with the uh, the individual and then branch out yeah. to the uh, the larger groups. So I can see why uh, you've been so successful and so effective. Not that I would ever doubt it, knowing you personally, but yeah. um, I'm I'm glad we're we're talking about this in this level of detail because this, this is really uh, yeah. this is really incredible. I'm thinking of some situations that this would help. Uh, yeah. Help me and some companies that we're we're uh, we're looking at, and, and and plus, you know, one of the things that, you know, with with uh, you know artificial intelligence in in machine learning becoming so important, if you can't influence people or if you can't you know uh, solve these complex problems, I don't know what kind of role you're going to have in the world. So, 
you know, from an investment management standpoint, we're always looking places where artificial intelligence can't go. Right? right. And what you're doing, right. there is, I don't think we're ever going to have artificial intelligence that's smart enough to do all these things that you're doing. Cause I think you have to have, you have to be an organic based kind of being yeah. right. That there's another yeah. piece of energy and you, you would, I was, I was laughing. I, I read some, some research where they, you know, they cut brain piece of brain apart and the information was still traveling from the left side to the right side. Right. Mm. So it's not necessarily a physical neural connection. There is a wave, right. right? Like a sound wave that's going through there. Now you already know that cause you feel it. Right. And you act on it and you can articulate it. And I've, I've read some of your poetry that's just incredible. And you can communicate it in a group of people. Cause I've been in a room with you when you're um, trying to help people change, you know, a specific attitude and you're able to do it. And every single person in that room needs to hear something different. But you were yeah. able to get that across very, very quickly, which is why from a value standpoint, which is where the way, you know, we look at things as, as investment managers, you're so powerful. You know, why would I want to spend a couple of months talking to you know 30 people when someone like yourself can come in if you understand all these things and you can yeah. immediately help them change their attitude that will help them and if they help themselves and of course they'll help the people around them and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so it really is right. um amazing right. but I, I think people need to um kind of see that uh, uh some examples and then see that you know your your life story is is fascinating and uh it's, it's interesting but it, it got you to where you are and it also wasn't it's not a story of privilege and luck right yeah. you know you yeah. had some very difficult things that you encountered and you learned from them and then you, you know you you got better like i think uh, most people do so um you know it's not like well just steve can do that i, I never can i never would be able to right it's, it's yeah. kind of specific to him he's got that skill whereas um uh, i know that's not true because you you know you've helped me through some of these situations by using the uh, I didn't realize at the time, but you're using some of the same, uh, the same theories, which is really, yeah. uh, really incredible. Yeah. Um, I think what's important too, for especially for businesses that I, I consult with, um, there's two mm -hmm. elements that I think separates the Burlak method from many. First is that before I, you know, recommend any workshop or actually perform, you know, facilitate a workshop for anyone, the first thing I do is take on a consultant role, right? Where I sit with the leadership and then I talk to them about some of these questions, like who is your company? Like what does it do? Why does it do it, right? What are the challenges they face? And then getting, you know, so the, one of the keys to the Burlak method is that it's, it's flexible, right? Um, I, I tweak the workshops to fit the needs of the individual business, client, et cetera, individual, person, whatever. Um, but more importantly as well, once I actually do the workshops, then because then they can, the, the, the key to that is, and that's why the book is so important, Right? You broadcast your inner champion because um, what I could do then is um, there may be a company that just really needs leadership development, right? They don't necessarily need team building. They don't, you know, they don't want the self-awareness piece, but they really want to focus in on leadership. So then not only could I do a, you know, a, a two-hour workshop, say, on leadership, but then we can actually dig deep into leadership mm -hmm. and what it means uh, using the book as a, as a centerpiece of that. And then digging mm -hmm. deeply into leadership development for and what it looks like and how it manifests for this particular company. Um, or um, I may discover that a company really needs leadership development and key building and they need self-awareness, right? Um, they need that articulation of self to understand, you know, what, you know, not necessarily just for the individual self-awareness, but what the company is, right? There are people like have worked for a company for 10 years and can't say the mission statement. Right. That's all self-awareness. Right. 
And so sure, um, sure. I can actually go across the breadth of those topics and connect them in a meaningful way for that particular client. And then on top of that, I then do follow-up um, using the book as well. So they get follow-up, which is key, right? Not, not just a two-hour workshop and voila, you're cured. Uh, but then you have follow-up yeah. services as well. Um, and so that's a, an important element of it. Oh, incredible. Well, um, I could go on for another couple of hours here, but I want to be respectful of your time, Steve. This is really um, fascinating. I, I, even though I know you well, I learned uh, I learned a ton, and uh, you certainly have uh, motivated me to keep growing my uh, my company so I can bring you yes. on board and help us uh, help us Absolutely. help us get better. Hope, hopefully, won't you won't be dealing with any issues. Hopefully, you'll be just helping us take what we have and make it uh, make it better and um, you know more uh, more effective. But if somebody does have an issue or, or they do want to explore kind of who they are and, and uh, to whom they belong, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I know you're revamping your, uh, your web presence, but is there uh, uh, an email address or, or Twitter or some other way that you like to be, be contacted on these Absolutely. things? Absolutely. And so, um, yeah, so if, if you're interested in remembering your purpose uh, and achieving your goals, uh, mm -hmm. just reach me. Um, the website will be up is uh, steveberlack.com, uh, steve, B-E-R-L-A-C-K.com. Reach me mm -hmm. uh, by phone, 470-342-4397. You can also find me on Twitter, at S. Burlack. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Steve Burlack. There's only two of us, <laughs> so you'll, you'll find me um, as well. So, And then, of course, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Steve Burlack. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you again, Steve. This has been uh, really a, an incredible conversation. And thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing the next conversation with you. Um, bye for now. The Finding Unique Value podcast is sponsored by Elliott Asset Management. We help successful entrepreneurs create wealth outside of their business. To discover the five ways successful entrepreneurs become intelligent investors and grow wealth beyond their business, visit ElliottAm.com slash webinar.